we're continuing in this extremely most important subject. I don't know, and really, it's not that I'm uncomfortable in saying this. I'm just not sure how biblical I am. I'm not uncomfortable in saying most things. <laughs> That's never the question. It's, is it right to say it? But at least one of the most significant studies that we need to know is the identity and purpose and means to accomplish that purpose of this man who calls himself Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Man. Amen? Knowing him is the most important armor we have against the attacks of Satan personally in our own thoughts, attitudes, desires, and the winds of the culture that Satan more than ever before, I think, is permeating the souls of believers, and especially for you dads in here, the winds of this culture permeating the souls of your children. And we better be on the alert, especially watching over our little ones. Because this enemy is not only after the adults. I believe especially he's after the youth. So I say this to those who are here, those who are coming in, and those who are not here and should be here. I'm sorry. Protect your children by knowing Jesus knowing him personally and knowing who he is through the word. Protect yourselves and your family, your children, by living that knowledge, living it. Protect your children by dealing with the issues in a very graceful, kind, gentle, non-argumentative way against what the world says is right. To make sure they know that there is only one who is right. Amen? Amen? And that's the Lord Jesus. Amen? So we continue with this study this morning. Last week, Nick brought to us, last two weeks, the understanding of Jesus as the bread. This morning, we're going into the second predicated I am. In John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. Remember... Jesus has unpredicated I am. That means I am, and he doesn't say anything else about himself. I am. But nothing else comes out. And when he does that, he's identifying who he is in himself as the eternal son of God. The unpredicated I am's are the statements of his eternal destiny as the incarnation of the son of God. Do we get that? Very important. Then there's seven predicated I am's. In other words, those ones that he says something about his identity 
as he gives us illustrations of his identity in the biblical activities that we see originating in the Old Testament and being carried forth. So nothing that Jesus says, I am, and then the bread, the light, the door, the shepherd, and so on. Nothing that he says in these I am's is not first identified and is activitied in the Old Testament. Okay? So this morning, I am the light of the world. Father, as we go, Father, step into this Massive subject. Massive. Father, just the little bit of detail that we will share in the next two weeks, these two weeks. Father, would you cause this little bit of detail to overwhelm us, to amaze us? To cause us to realize the profundity, the depth, the majesty, the glory of who you are and how you have ministered to us in the Lord Jesus. Father, cause this study, last week's, this week's, and so on by the Spirit, to be breathtaking so that when we say the name Jesus into our hearts, our minds, into our souls is flooded a greater understanding and appreciation of who this Galilean carpenter is. Thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You remember in the previous chapter, in chapter 8, chapter 7, in the previous chapter, there's a controversy. Who is Jesus? I mean, you can imagine you being in the crowd and you see Jesus doing this miracle, that miracle, and he's making this audacious uh, a statement about himself. He's saying things about himself that no one has ever said about themselves, at least, and not get stoned for it. So here's a man who, he's a carpenter's son, Joe. I know his daddy, Joseph. I, I knew his daddy. I knew his mom and them. He lived in Nazareth. I mean, it's just like someone coming among us who lived in Chalmette. And all of a sudden, say, oh, really? <laughs> you came from Chalmette. You, you know, now, had you come from maybe West Wego or Jack Bay, in the eyes of the world, he's a nobody. He's just Joe Blow Kokomo from down the street. Don't you see that? And he's saying and doing things that no man has ever said or done. Nobody. Them and a few who have come, you know, kind of a shadow of it, but never been that way. Who is he? Some of the people, therefore, were saying, well, this is certainly the prophet. The prophet is the prophet that Moses talked about who will come after him. That prophet, the prophet. Others were saying, well, this is the Christ. 
still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come out of, come from Galilee because they knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So a division occurred among the crowd. So Jesus says, you want to know who I am? He says, I am the light of the world. Oh, excuse me. I am the light of the world. Now, now listen to this. They knew their scriptures. They knew that the Tanakh, remember the Old Testament, was filled from cover to cover. What's the first book of the Old Testament that we have? It's not like this in the Tanakh, but the way we have it, Old Testament begins what book? Genesis and ends with what book? Come on, come on. No, Old Testament ends in what book? And Malachi. How many books in the Old Testament? 39. So from cover to cover, from Genesis to Malachi, regularly light is there to speak about visible light and someone turn on the light. <laughs> okay. But more importantly, in the Old Testament, regularly, and the people knew this, God himself, God manifested, revealed, ministered to his people through the means of light. Yeah, I know what we say, light's a symbol of this. I don't like that really because light can be a symbol of something and light is a symbol of Jesus in a very, I think, what do you call it? Uh, I can't remember my word now. Not in a direct way. So it's not so much that light symbolizes Jesus. Jesus is this light. Do we see the difference? So I don't like to say light is a symbol, although when you read about it, you'll see it that way and, you know, whatever. Jesus is this light. And so he is saying, I am the very light of God himself, whom you have been reading about in your scriptures. Now, Jan, what would that make you think about this man if he said that? He's crazy. He's delusional. He's a liar. Or, or could it be, Kay, that he's telling the truth? Well, they will never know, and no one will ever know for sure until what event? Say it again. I can't hear you. One more time, fireman. Resurrection. That's the proof. But until then, we just have to listen and hear him and hope that he is this light. So what scriptures will come to the mind? Now, as I said, this is such a massive, massive subject. There's no way that we can go into the detail that I would like to do, not within the context of this particular series. I really have felt constrained by the Holy Spirit. Just go through it, move it along. Because I, what I want my people to see is that who Jesus is, you know, in a very 
large, comprehensive way rather than going to real 20 weeks on each one and we lose the overview. You understand that, I think. There's one way to study a book by looking at its overview and seeing the whole book at once, and then there's another way of looking at a book into the depths, but we need to see it at once. So, Jesus says, I am the light. Now, when you see that, he says, I am the light of the world. And he says, the person who follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the whole verse. So this morning, we're just going to take the first part of that. I am the light of the world. And then next week, we're going to talk about he who follows me doesn't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're going to talk about that. So this morning, Jesus is identifying himself with the verses or the references the examples in the Old Testament when God himself manifests who he is through light. Next week, we'll talk about how does that light relate to us? What is the relationship of Jesus as the light to us personally? So do we see that? We'll break it up like that. So this morning, you're in the crowd, and you hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Now, what verse, although you may see it when you look at your notes, so if you want to cheat, go ahead and cheat. What verse, Lloyd, would come to your mind, do you think, the first verse that would come to your mind, the first example of God being the light of the world would come to your mind immediately. Which verse? Go ahead. You can say it. Genesis what? Can't hear you. One, three. Remember the creation account. Now, look, let's make it real. We're Jewish people. We know our scriptures. So when you hear that, this is what you remember, at least in English. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was what? Dark and formless. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And what happened next? The spirit, what? Moved or hovered or vibrated over the waters. Then you hear someone say something in verse 3. And God said, who? Who said it, Darlene? God said. Who said it, Anton? God said. Now, ain't nobody else, just God. God said, let there be light. And what was the result? And there was light. Now, that's the first thing. I think that's going to come into their minds, Claudia. Is is this man saying? Is is he is he saying that he's God who created the light? Hey, get a hold of this. We're, we're too apt just to read the word and move through it. Stop. 
Because the Holy Spirit not only wants to give us information, he wants that information to be translated into our souls. So that becomes a part of our not only thinking, but our feelings and emotions and desires. Do we see that? Are you with me this morning? I know you had not as much sleep last night. It's a challenge. I understand that. But how can this be possible? You see, because as an Orthodox Jewish person, I believe in one God, Unitarian monotheism. Remember we talked about that? Unitarian, God alone, nobody else, just God. No persons, just God. But if what Jesus is saying, <clears throat> within the context of Unitarian monotheism, he's saying that he's another God. Part of a pantheon, a group of gods. God is God and Jesus is now God. And Wendy, this is a problem. You stone people for this. But as we've said before, what Jesus was doing was not tearing down monotheism. He was amplifying or bringing greater light and understanding to Jewish Unitarian monotheism. Because what we see in the Old Testament is actually Trinitarian monotheism, but it's not that clear. It's there in bits and pieces and shadows, correct? Remember Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. I suppose you'll have to look that up. So Jesus is adjusting their understanding and talking about Trinitarian monotheism. So he's saying this. I who stand before you am the God who created all things. You see, it was impossible for God to become a man within the context of Unitarian monotheism. Jehovah's Witnesses believe it's impossible. United Pentecostal Church thinks it's impossible, called oneness. Muslims think it's impossible. It's crazy. It's possible. But with God, what? All things are possible. Have you ever talked to someone who doesn't believe this? I don't. It can't happen. Well, why would you think it's impossible? Ron, if God brought the worlds into being, why isn't it possible? Do you see what I'm saying? So that's, I think, probably the first thing that comes to their mind. And I think the next thing, or maybe one of the next things, and again, there's so much to talk about here, but we're not going to. I am the light of the world. Another scripture would come to their mind, and I think I have it in your notes here. And so if we just in our minds, or we have a Bible here this morning, let's turn to the two chapters, what are they? Exodus, what? 13 and 14. Now, there are many other instances of light before this. But we don't have the time. This isn't the context to go into each one of these. Okay, so. We have already understood that this man has claimed to be none other than the God of glory. 
Remember in Acts 7, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham in verse 52 when Stephen was preaching to them. Jesus says, I am the God of glory. So when the crowd heard Jesus claim, they would have also remembered the account in Exodus when the Lord, remember, freed Israel from the slavery of Egypt. So remember the story, maybe if you didn't see the movie. The children of Israel are in Egypt for 430 years or so. And they are enslaved. Now, when you read this in the Old Testament, this is an actual historical event, a reality. But like so, so much in the Old Testament and even in the New, but to a limited, ex less extent, what the Lord is doing, he is using actual events, not mythologizing, but actual events, Steve, to show in the physical world what is happening in the spiritual world. We get that. So Israel, who is Israel? In chapter 4 of Exodus, he says, my son, my son. What does that mean? These my people. This is my people, Ronnie, my folks. He doesn't say everybody on earth is his son. All of a sudden, you begin to see something very different, Bex. God differentiates. Using today's word, which is a bad word now, he's prejudiced. He discriminates. Oh, <laughs> what kind of a God is that? But look at it. Is he embracing everybody on earth as his son? Is he or not? No, my son. Now, when God says my son, he certainly means his people. But ultimately, what does he mean? My eternal son who would be born into the world in the man Jesus Christ is in Israel because he's in the loins of his ancestors. Amen. So God's physical son the Israelites, who are the manifestation of his spiritual presence in his people, and his people are belonging to him, also is saying that my son himself, this eternal one who is the light, who created all things, is also in Egypt. Do we get this? He's in slavery, my son. The people of God are in slavery. Now, that's a physical reality. What does it mean? That because of the fall, remember the fall? What verse announces the fall? The end three words of Genesis 3, 6. And he ate. That initiates the fall. You got it? After that, the light of God's presence with his people who are 
Adam and Eve, and in Adam and Eve, you see that to be born, the progeny. The light of God's presence is withdrawn from them, and they go into a, if you would, an atmosphere or a place, whatever, condition is a better word, of spiritual what? Darkness. Now, we're not going to go light and dark, contrasting. We're not going to do all that. But at least to understand this. So when we come up to this period of time in Exodus. And the Lord is going to deliver his people. They are a people who because they are in darkness because of their sin are enslaved. They're not enslaved. Therefore, they are in darkness. They are in darkness. Therefore, they are enslaved. Get it? They are in darkness, therefore they sin. It's not they sin, oh, they become dark because they sin. Their sin is just a manifestation of their spiritual condition. People are not saved or damned because of what they do. They're saved or damned because of their condition. The question is never, what are you doing to determine your salvation? It's, are you in Adam, darkness, or are you in Christ, who is the light of the world? Do we see what's in here? When you read this, all of this should flood your minds. You see how great this is. How massive it is. There's so much to talk about. So, sorry. And not only are they enslaved, but they got a bad king over them. His name is what? His title was what? Pharaoh. The Pharaoh has enslaved them. Well, what does that say to you? Spiritually, what does it say? Well, 2 Corinthians 4.4 should immediately come to your mind. For Satan is the God of this darkened world. Doesn't say darkened, but I just added that in there just in case you forgot. Their minds are darkened in Ephesians 1. 1 John, those who walk, you know, walk in, it just means are in darkness. They're not in fellowship. That's what you see here in this enslavement. You see, it's much bigger than just Jews getting out of Egypt. It's massive. It's the massive message of how God will redeem his enslaved, fallen, sinful, rejecting people back to himself. But listen to this and get it straight. They are, before Moses arrives, in darkness. Do we get this? They are, before Moses begins to confront Pharaoh, Enslaved under the dominion of a cruel master who has absolute control over their lives ah, and even their wills. Because there ain't no Jewish prisoner who is going to say, you know, I am going to decide to be free. Come on, come on. Is that laughable or not? I'm going to be free. I'm walking out of this cell. Well, you're only going to try it once. Just once. Tiff, just once. 
Michael, just one time. That's all you're going to try it. You ain't trying it twice. Do we see that? Do we see that God must deliver his people, not on the basis of them calling upon him, but on the basis of him knowing them before they were created? Therefore, we know this, that even though they were an enslaved people in darkness, God, even before he delivers them, he calls them my son. Ephesians 1.4 should come to your mind. We have foreknown before the foundation of the world. Is that good news or not? Why are you today saved and in Christ? Not because you said, Jesus, save me. But because God says, you're my child whom I have known forever in my own heart and mind. And I have created you in a time frame and I have sent the Holy Spirit to you in a time frame. And I have birthed you into eternal life. And on that basis, I've given you the ability to be unchained, your will to be unchained, and your affections to be unchained. So that now you see your condition. And you desire, because of my Spirit's gift of faith in you, you reject your position and receive Christ. Amen? That's how you're saved. It all initiates in God. None of it in us. Now, I need to move along. God's people are enchained in prison in the cell of sin. Ruled by Satan. And God calls him my son. Therefore, on the basis of this is God's eternal son, as a people and his son is in this people, God sends a deliverer called Moses. <clears throat> so you remember, you saw the movie. I'm Really, Moses confronts Pharaoh. We won't go into the details in the power of God. And Pharaoh finally says, get him out of here. After the ten plagues. And so Moses leads the people by God's direction. Look at this. Moses is a general. He's been raised in the Pharaoh's house. He knows a little bit about military tactics. He really does. And he leads them out of there, and he goes all the way to the Red Sea. They can't cross the Red Sea. And behind them are these, on the side of them are these mountains over here. can't cross. And then all of a sudden, we have this army coming after us. Now, how does God lead his people out? Let's read it. Exodus 13, 21, 22. The Lord, who? Who has said that I am? Come on, wake up. Who has said I am? Who? Y'all can shout. It's okay. I can now shout all of you. So who is this I am? Who is this Lord in this passage? This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Do we get it? Oh, are we getting this? Then the Lord was going before them. Well, we could say the Son of God was going before them. In a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and a pillar of cloud by night to give them what? Light. That they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of cloud by fire by night. But before the people, he led them out. 
Now, Pharaoh came to his senses. What have I done? We need to go back and get our slaves. So Pharaoh changed his mind and pursued Israel into the wilderness to destroy them. But in chapter 14, 13, and 14, listen what Moses says to the people. Don't be afraid. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he has accomplished for you today. For these Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you are keeping silent. The light of God, you see. So the angel of the Lord in verses 19 to 20, this is what God does. This is what the pre-incarnate son of God does. He stands and positions himself between his people and the pursuing armies. He is seen here as not only their savior, but their guardian. Is that saying something to you and me about your salvation and your walk with Lord? He's not only saved us, but what? He guards us. He will keep us from being overrun by Satan or Pharaoh's armies. Amen? He will keep us and he will lead us across all the way to the other side. He's going to do it. No equivocation about this. And the angel of God, who's the angel of God? We did that a couple of weeks ago. Remember, you have Yahweh and the angel of God talking to one another and discussing things and both are speaking as if it is just one person, but it is what? Two people. You remember that. We did that a few weeks ago. Go back and listen to that one, perhaps. So who is this angel of God? It's the same one who spoke through the bush. He's the same one who drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. He is the person of the Son of God. That's who he is. He's the one who was born into Bethlehem years later. He is the one. Angel God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was a cloud along with the darkness. Yet it gave light at night. Thus, the one did not come near the other all night. What does that say about our Lord? Come on, what does it say? You know, one of the things I believe the Lord wants me to do at the end of this whole series is to recap the series, but within the context of Hebrews 7.25. I know you asked, what does it say? Well, go back and read it. When Jesus said that he is the light of the world, listen to the profundity, profoundness of this. Listen to it. When he says, I am the light of the world, the people would have remembered this great event when God manifested himself as Israel's savior in the light and in the pillar of fire and the cloud. You see, he's not only the light who saves but he is the light who brings judgment. I'll skip ahead a little bit. There's a wonderful verse in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 6. And I'll just go to part of it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Skipping forward a little bit, I believe this is the best and most succinct definition 
of what the gospel is. You know how people say, what is the gospel? And we begin to talk, not wrongly, about, okay, is God's goodness toward us? He saved us, right? That's all. But that's secondary. That's all secondary. Too many of us think on the secondary. We're missing the profundity, the, the kernel, the foundation, the essence of God. Who is the gospel? Christ himself. Christ himself is the gospel. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.6. 6. You need to know it and remember it. That means this. You remember the light that led Israel forward across the Red Sea and held Pharaoh back? Then the light withdrew from Pharaoh, and Pharaoh went into the sea, and then the light turned against God's enemies. Now, they ain't, that ain't popular, but it is there in the truth. That means this, that the gospel both saves and judges of sin. Now, how many people in the church think that way? Come on. How many of us would share the gospel and to say it is the revelation of the wrath of God against all who reject Christ? Would you call that the gospel? Come on, let's be honest. Would we call that the gospel? Someone have an answer, yes or no? Before today, would you call that the gospel? Not really, you know. Oh, no, no, the gospel is positive. Well, it is. All of it's positive because it talks about Christ. But as outworking has, if you would, I don't like it, but positive and negative. I don't like those terms, but that's what we'll say. The gospel is sent into the world whose name is Jesus. The gospel, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. God sends the gospel into the world and the man, Jesus Christ, to both save his people and condemn those who are not his people. If we're going to share the gospel accurately and completely, we need to be very, very careful not to begin it this way. God loves you. And so do I. Jesus loves you. Because suppose you were talking to an Egyptian in that army that day, Dane. Would that have been correct? Does God love those people in a salvific, saving way? There is a general way God, yes, but I'm talking about in this way. No. Charles, whom does God love in that story? His son, his people. Let's be careful how we share the gospel. We should never begin the sharing of the gospel with that kind of a statement because you don't know. Now, if you have a revelation from the Holy Spirit so that God does love you and you are, then that's okay. But unless you have that prophetic revelation, don't say it because you don't know. Are you with me this morning? Is this harsh? Hmm. No, it's just truth. And truth can be real biting. Because this world is untruth. And the philosophy of this world is untruth. 
but we live in him who is true. Next week, we'll talk about how God uses Jesus, the light, to save us. And before you know, there, there's a, some kind of a, what do you call it, thing going around here right now for name tags and so on. I think I'm the only one who didn't do it. If you didn't sign it and put get a name tag, whatever, would you do that? It's name tag Sunday. So come back next week, and uh, let's continue to do something. Look, many are not here this morning. Okay, fine. Be an evangelist for the glory of God. And just be so bold as to say, you know, Joe, I really missed you in church, Sunday school this morning. Amen? Let's be bold and say to these folks, I missed you. Last week we had several parents with their children in here who are not here this morning. Whose children are downstairs. Let's, let's make sure we say something to them. Why? We want them in here. In fact, I want the whole church in here. See you next week.